Okay, so we started last week a, just a real push into the new year. Last weekend was our first weekend of the year. Happy New Year if I haven't said it yet. But it is a great time for us to kind of recalibrate, kind of get a runway and know where we're heading as a community. And so last week I was talking about the fact that we're going to give a theme to 2018, which is advancing faith. Everybody say advancing faith. Yes, you're still awake. All right, so we are going to do that, and we're going to take the first 120 days, the first four months. We're going to split the year into three pieces, three four-month pieces. In the first four months, first 120 days, we're going to to call Taking Ground. And we're going to focus in some specific areas. I'm going to go over those quickly, but I wanted to say we talked about the value of our soul last week, and we looked at what Jesus said about it. And the fact that you could get all the power, all the fame, all the fortune, and it would not equal, it would be inferior to the value of your soul. And so the question I posed was this, if Jesus is right and your soul is the most important thing ever, what does your commitment to investing in it look like? So we talked about some unspoken commitments that we've made. Those would be things like tomorrow if you have a job, you're going to go to work. You haven't like told all of your family and friends, hey guys, I just need you to know I'm going to work tomorrow. Everybody just knows you're going to go to work tomorrow. Hopefully your boss knows that, right? Um, there's also some unspoken things like, you know, personal hygiene. We just appreciate the fact that you're going to shower this year. Now we haven't like had to have a conversation about how, just so you guys know, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna make sure I brush my teeth every day. We just know that twice a day, right? So we, we, don't, we don't need to hear that. Um, families, parents, you know, you haven't sat down your kids and said, you know, kids, just so you know, we're gonna provide a meal three times a day to you from now in this year. So just in case you were worrying about it, no one does that. So there's commitments that we make. But if our soul is worth more than all of that, even though that stuff is important, if our soul is worth more, infinitely more than all that stuff, then what does our commitment to investing in our soul look like? And so the four areas that we know, based on research, we know that these things are going to cause you to grow in your faith. And those four areas are things like organized activities. These are things that we're going to do as second place to help you grow your faith. One of those you just heard about, growth groups. We've organized growth groups so that you have an opportunity to do that. We're going to have serving opportunities. Dave talked about the food truck tomorrow night. We're going to have more serving opportunities um, prior to Easter. And then we've got um, something we call an equipping series where we're going to organize some workshops and they're going to, we've talked about like an overview of scripture as one of them and even one on finances. And so those things and that information will be coming out soon. So that's the first category that we're going to focus on. And those are opportunities for you. The second area is personal practices. And this is going to come in the form of challenges. Really, we're looking at all the disciplines, um, but kind of focusing in on a couple of them. And most of you nearby, you have a calendar that was given out last week. And on that calendar, you see some some color-shaded areas. The first area is a 40-day soul challenge, and that's going to be where we actually focus in on prayer and reading of Scripture. And that comes in the form of actually um, 40 days of a soul challenge. And the way that you can connect with that is by texting PRAY40 to this number. What, here's what happens, and I just want to throw a little warning, right, the warning label on this one. This means you're going to get a text at about 5 or 5.30 in the morning. That text is going to have a link to a page on a website that's going to give you um, a warm-up, a round one, round two, round three, and a burnout. And those, it's literally a soul workout for you to do 
and it gets you into the Word. It gets you applying the Word and interacting with the Word. And that's been written by a whole team, and we've got 40 days of those ready to go. You can jump in um, right away uh, by texting that to that number. So um, quick note, no space in between pray and 40. Just put it all together and text it. You're all good. And so we're excited about that. Then we have a 40-day giving challenge where you're going to be challenged. This is a discipline of giving. Challenge to give something up, to give something away. We're going to do that during Lent because that's when everybody's thinking about what should I give up for Lent? Come from that faith tradition? It's a thing. So we're going to utilize that to help us focus on giving. The last one is a 21-day chill challenge. And now that's going to focus on the disciplines of solitude and reflection. So you're going to be encouraged and challenged to do that every day. And, and that's going to be 21 days. Now, some of you saw that on the calendar last week and thought it was a chilly challenge. Um, I'm also okay with a chili challenge. We can do a chili cook-off, and then it would be a chili chill challenge, and then we're going to move on. Outside activities is the third area. Um, outside activities are things that we don't organize that you got, well, maybe a little bit, but we don't really, we really challenge you to go after it on your own. And so those are things like reaching out to your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your family, maybe inviting them out to a service here um, during the Easter season, uh, maybe sharing your faith with your neighbor. Serving people in need on your own, where we're going to organize some things, but then there's going to be a challenge where I say, you know what, this week, what I want you to do is I want you to be aware and watch for people that are in need, and I want you to serve that need somehow, some way, on your own. Let's go, let's go do it. And so those are some of the things that we're going to be doing there. And mentoring, we've got a, a kind of a, a small, nimble mentoring structure that we're launching in the next couple of weeks, and that'll be expanded as we go, so you'll hear more about that. And then the last category is our beliefs and attitudes. Our beliefs and attitudes are primarily what we're going to focus on on the weekend. And what we know is that there are certain things that take us to the next level in our faith. There's certain beliefs and attitudes that take us to the next level, and our beliefs and our attitudes can intensify over time. So for instance, today we're going to talk about the, the uh, authority of Scripture in your life. Believing that Scripture, the Word of God, is the decisive factor in what I do and say. And I think what I want you to do right now is wrestle with that. And you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, how authoritative is the Word of God in your life? How much does it impact what you do and say? And I think for some of us, we've already locked that down. We believe that. That's a thing. We, we're okay. And we would say we're at like a nine. But other of us might be like, you know what? I read the Babylon Bee, and they talked about a perforated Bible, and it kind of means that you can rip some things out that you don't like. That's not real. That's a, you guys aware? The perforated Bible is a joke. It went over like that. Awesome. Um, so some of us are like, I'm not exactly sure if I can take every word of Scripture at face value. I don't really know. And now I'm not going to talk about, like, don't get caught up today in interpretation and the fact that you have 17 commentaries and four of them conflict on a per certain passage. What we're trying to understand is that the essence of what we're trying to believe in is that the Word of God has an authority in our life. And at what level is that authority in our life? Um, Everything we do at Second Place is inspired by the Word of God. I mean, we come back to it constantly. We're looking through it. We're pouring over it. And, and obviously, Scripture doesn't tell us to buy uncomfortable gray chairs. 
But it does say to gather, right? And so we know that there are things that direct us from Scripture. We have on our website a statement of faith which lists all the things that we would say that we stand upon. And one of them is this. The first one is this. God inspired the authors of the Bible by his Spirit to speak to all generations of believers, including us today. So this is the value. This is the belief, the attitude that we want to investigate and tackle um, this morning. When you think about that, where are you at? Now, in, in, your, in your walk, when you um, are thinking about your faith, if, if you're like me, you know, you guys are, you guys are kind of um, blowing up the system because the average person in America is not in church this morning, so good job on that. And you're here, and my hope is that you're not checking a box off the list. I think that we've got to, like, pass that for a lot of us. But I hope that you're here to grow, like you want to grow in your faith. And if you're like me, a lot of times, even though that might be true, we often will be, we'll kind of count attendance and we'll count, like maybe listen to a podcast and we'll be like, that's my investment, you know. But a lot of times, if you're like me, I've put my faith on autopilot. Everybody say autopilot. We kind of put it on autopilot and it's kind of like, yeah, you know what, I go to church on the weekend, I listen to this podcast, I read this devotion, it's just kind of a thing. But it's on autopilot. There's nothing behind it that's really making it happen. And what ends up happening is we end up not focusing on the things that matter most. The things that are really going to cause us to grow. The things that are going to get us unstuck. And the, the thing about a crowd like this is that in a crowd like this, there's definitely people in the room that are stuck in their faith. It just by the sheer numbers, there's people in the room that are stuck in their faith. And, and a lot of times we feel like God is far away. We feel like we don't understand the Bible. We don't understand where to start. We can't really understand how to apply it. And so we drift and we drift. And the goal here is for us to kind of understand that there are certain things about our faith that if we focus on them and we invest in our soul, we're going to get unstuck and we're going to grow. grow. So... Um, we're going to look at a few different passages. If I could get some help with Bibles. Um, if, you get, if you brought your Bible today, raise it up. Show it to me real quick. I want to see it. Don't be ashamed. That's all good. If you would like a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to have these um, fine gentlemen go ahead and pass out your Bible. So just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Um, we're going to be in several passages today. You can um, choose to look them all up or one of them up, whatever you want to do. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22 first. Then we're going to be in Nehemiah 8. We're going to hang out in um, Psalm Matthew and 2 Timothy. Um, but also, also Acts 17 would be a good one for you to look up. I'm going to challenge you right now to bring your Bible next week because we're going to talk about um, the Bible and Scripture next week as well. And we're going to take a different angle to it. But here is what we're going to We're going to focus on a couple of snapshots in history. Now what we could do, and what I'm not going to do today, but what we could do is we could talk about, you know, like, why is the Bible reliable? Why is it accurate? Why is it historical? All those things. We might touch on that next week. But today what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of snapshots that show us what the people of God did historically when it came to the Word of God. Like, how did they act? How did they, what was their approach? How did they respond to the Word of God? And I think that that's going to shed some light by looking at some of the historical passages here. We're going to see what they do. And before I read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, and I pray right now, whatever we've brought in, carried in, 
whatever issue, challenge, or struggle we have in our life, that we would just kind of park that and move that aside and allow you, Lord God, to speak to us. So Holy Spirit, Lord, we want to learn today. So Lord, teach us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8 is where we're going to start. A little backstory. So Josiah is king. He's a young man, and he has got some work on the temple that he is working on. And he sends his secretary, whose name is Shaphan. Everybody say Shaphan. Great name, right? That he's going to go, and he's going to go check on the work, and this is where we pick it up. So Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. It's been ignored. It's been overlooked. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Verse 10. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king, King Josiah, heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Why did he tear his robes? I mean, this is culturally not really normal. So, you know, if I were to read the word of God and, you know, Sam would like to rip off his shirt like the Hulkamania, you know, that'd be weird, you know. We're not going to, we're not hoping for that at all. But culturally, this is an act of desperation, right? This is an act of brokenness. I mean, he was undone. And why was he undone? Because of the truth of the word of God had come to him, which had been lost, ignored, and was brought to him. And he realized that the people of God had wandered away from what God had said to do. And he was broken. He tore his robes. The king, the most powerful person in Israel, tore his robes when he heard the word of God read. If we bounce over to Nehemiah 8, a little backstory on this. This is now where the nation of Israel is now returning back to Jerusalem. They've been exiled. And the people of God get there, and they tell Ezra, the scribe, they say, get the book of the law and read it to us. Realize that they couldn't just bring a Bible with them. They couldn't bring the word of God with them. They had to ask someone to read it to them. And they say, Ezra, would you please read us the word of God? And so Ezra does. And it says this, Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. They had actually built a platform for him for this purpose. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Why did they stand? No one told them to stand, but they stood when Ezra began to read the book of the law. They, they stood up and they were like, oh my goodness, and they raised their hands and they say, Amen, Amen. Well, this is an act of reverence, right? This is an act of saying the holy scriptures are being read. We haven't heard these. We've been exiled. The word of God has been lost to us for years. And now we're coming back and we hear them read for the first time in many years. And what do we do? We stand out of reverence for that. And we want to say, God, yes, yes. And they lift their hands. So um, one of the great things about scripture is, uh, if, you, if you want it to be a thing, is that you can actually experience scripture. You'll, you'll hear me talk about the fact that we need to interact with scripture, and we often don't. Like, we'll read something like this, and we're like, oh, yeah, so the, he opened the book, and people could see him, and, you know, they stood up, and then they lifted their hands, and they said, amen, amen, and then you just keep cruising right along, right? 
But there's something powerful when we actually experience the Word of God. So we're going to experience the Word of God together today, all right? So I'm pretty sure you could probably see how this is going to go. So I'm going to be Ezra, and you're going to be the crowd, all right? You're going to be the crowd. And so I'm going to read it again, and when it says that you stood up, you're going to stand up. And when it says that you raised your hands, we're going to raise our hands. And when it says you said amen, amen, you're going to say amen, amen, all right? Are you guys ready? Can you play along? All right? Are you guys, you guys are ready to stand up anyway. You've been sitting for too long, all right? So here it is. Here it is. So it says this, all right? Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, praise the Lord, and the, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Yes, you guys are awesome. You guys can be seated. So here's what's rough. You guys did that because I asked you to be nice and do it. But if there was a way for me to translate to you the emotion and the motivation of the heart of the people of God when that happened. That you, could you imagine where Ezra would come out with the scrolls, and as he walked up onto the platform, the people were anticipating, and he opens it, and as he opens it, the people stand. There you go. It's Bill Knobby. Yeah, there you go. You're just, you're just like represent, dude. Yes. So, see, you guys left him hanging. I'm just going to let you know. Like, <laughs> That was, that was just you guys being rude. I mean, it would have been, so, Bill, you're the best. And the, uh, the emotion and the motivation of the heart that people would stand when the word of God was opened up, and then it was read to them. Later on, it says that the, the priest would read it to them, and they would explain it so that they would understand it. And that's what we hope to do at Second Place every week. And so, so the question still remains, like, why did Josiah tear his robes? And why did the people stand? I mean, we've kind of unpacked that a little bit, but I think there's something behind it. And I think it's actually things that we forget. It's things that we forget because we're forgetful people, right? We forget some things that are really key in that culture. So the first thing is this. The, the people of God in those days, in that, in that, in that um, setting, they understood that the Word of God had the authority to create life, had the authority to create life, that in Genesis 1, we can argue young earth, old earth all day, that's another topic for another, another service. My point there being, though, is that they understood that God had created the, the heavens and the earth, that he had created everything, and Genesis 1 outlines that God said that there would be light. God said, let there be a sun and moon, let there be um, a division of the water. Let there be um, creatures. You can go to that, that, those passages and just kind of rifle through them, Matt, if you want. The next slide, I believe. All the, yep, next one. So you've got, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, let the, let the land produce vegetation. Next slide. <clears throat> you've got, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Then God said, let the water teem with living creatures. And God said, let the land produce living creatures. And then it says, and God, let, God said, let us create mankind. And so they understood that this was life, that God's word created life. And I love the fact that um, 
consistently in Genesis, Genesis 1, it says, and it was so. And it was so. It's just like kind of like matter of fact. Yeah, God created the universe, and it was so. Like, no big deal. This is powerful stuff. This is authority of the word of God. So that's number one. They understood that it created life. And what's cool is that God's word creates life in us now in our heart and soul, right? Every time we read it, God's, God's word brings us life. Super awesome. So they knew that. They also knew this. They knew that God's word had the authority to guide people, to guide people. And we see this, the easiest example for this is, is when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He gives him the Ten Commandments. And it says that God said in Exodus 20, it says, there's, there's, God spoke all these words, and you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. You should not misuse, misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your, your father and mother. Next slide. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not cover your neighbor's house. All of these things are things that God said, and it was intended to guide the people. Now, you look at this and you say, you know what? God's a rule maker. Well, guess what? It gets worse because God throws on a whole lot more. And if you're doing the Bible in a year, you're reading through, you're in Genesis right now, awesome, good job, enjoy it because Leviticus is coming, all right? And you know that you're going to doze off during that time when it's like, do not touch a dead body, all right? Well, guess what? Back then, people didn't know that disease was transferred from a dead body to a living person. And God's word was giving them instruction on science and guiding them and directing them and helping them become um, healthy and to stay healthy. And they, they, they just followed what it said. They didn't understand it all, but they followed what it said. And so God's word was guiding and directing them into a better, a better society, a better life, the best life where other cultures were, didn't understand all of that, and God's word here reveals that to them. And so God's word could guide, and that's what the people knew. They knew and understood that. I mean, you look at verses like Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. You know, when that's written, that is understood, man. This is something that's important to my life. Jesus, you know, we're going to talk a lot about him next week. Jesus, he, he was the word. And he was saying, you know what, in order to fight temptation right now, to come at Satan, I'm going to quote the word. And I'm going to say, it is written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You struggling right now with a temptation? Begin to quote the word of God because it has authority to set you free. And then we have 2 Timothy 3, which is a classic passage. I've included a little more than um, what you might usually hear. But it says this, but as for you... As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We see this passage, we've heard it before, and you see that it's the direction, it's the guidance. This is God's word, has the authority to do this. If we were to follow it, it would allow us to have some, some freedom and some victory in our life. So the last little snippet, the last little snapshot that I want to look at is in Acts 17. And in Acts 17, we're going to pick up Paul, and he's kind of cruising around in different cities, and he's kind of hanging out in different places, and he's talking about Jesus, and he's throwing down and in, he's in Thessalonica um, right before we read what we're going to read. And in Thessalonica, they weren't so nice to him. Um, he ended up getting out of Thessalonica without being hurt, but they were searching for him, and they, um, they jailed one of his friends. 
Um, they required them to post bond. You can read it right before this passage. And they weren't real nice. And so they, they get to the Bereans. And Paul then um, shares with them, and this is where we pick it up in verse 11. It says this, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character, they were nicer than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, everyone say, as a result. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So not only do Jews um, believe and find salvation in Christ, but so do Gentiles. And so we see that this is an interesting passage because the bolded piece there is really what I wanted us to focus on to help us. I mean, this has been, it's been something I've really thought a lot about is how does someone move from maybe knowing about the word of God to really having it ground them and really um, give them the foundation that they, they really draw from? How, do, how does someone progress to that point? And I think there's something here in this passage because we see a few things. Number one, they received the message. They received it. Second, they examined the scriptures to check on Paul and see if he was, everything he was saying was true. And by receiving it and examining it, what happens? Something powerful happened. They found salvation. They were redeemed. They've go from death to life. They went from darkness to light. They believed. This is the power of the word of God. And I think that's where I want to make a distinction. Is that some of us, we were like, oh yeah, the Bible has authority in my life. It's the, it's the ultimate authority. There's no, no doubt about that. And you've made some sort of mental assent to say, Yep, I agree with that statement. That's, I mean, you know, Scripture says, and, and I know that, you know, it's historical. I've looked it up. It's, it's accurate. I've looked it up. All kinds of manuscripts. I've looked it up. It's, it's reliable. The people that wrote it were, you know, within the generation of, of Jesus. We all know this. So no big deal. You've made a mental ascent. But that's, that's authority. It's got authority. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, whether or not you believe the word of God or not, it's going to have authority over us, and we're going to kneel. And it's going to be awesome. But there's a difference between authority and power. Authority comes from position. You know, you, um, you walk into your class, the professor is the one that runs the class. Why? Because he has the authority to do so, because he's the professor, he has the position. It would be weird for one of you to stand up and, like, start teaching Calculus 3, right? No one wants to do that anyway. So authority comes from position. You walk into your, your job, or if you drive out of here doing 75 miles an hour, the police, right, have been given authority to pull you over. They don't have the power to make you obey it, though. Your professor doesn't have the power to make you listen and take notes, but they have the authority to teach the class. So there's a difference between authority and power because authority comes from position, but power comes from posture. And this is the key. The Bereans postured themselves before the word. They chose to receive it. They chose to examine it. They chose to dig into it. And when they did, they believed. 
for us, we could say all day long that there's the, the word of God has authority, but the question really is, is does it have the power to change you? The answer is yes, but you hold back that floodgate. You hold back that floodgate because God can't make you obey, but he can, he can work with an open heart. He can guide an open heart. He can guide someone that says, you know what, I want to receive from you. See, when we posture ourselves, well, let's, let's talk about it. Let's just talk about applying this big idea. If there is one, Scripture has the authority, but only you can give it power. Now, does the Scripture have power? Absolutely, but we have to tap into that. We have to allow that power to influence us. One of the values at second place, one of the values, and people walk in here all the time thinking something different. They think, my life will never change. It's horrible. It's never going to change. And we're here day in and day out, weekend after weekend, saying, no. Do not believe that lie. Your life can change, and your life changes because of the word of God. And so we give it that power. We are able to see that power come into our life. So let's apply this. Let's apply this in a few different ways. All right, so number one, if you want the power of God and the power of God's word in your life to happen, you're going to have to read it. And that might be the most uncomfortable thing I say all day because everyone's like, oh, man, he's telling me to read my Bible again. Right. But there's a lot of ways to read it. Some of you are so hurt by the church and so over the Bible that you can't even bring yourself to crack it open. The best you got going for you right now is the, the songs that we sing at the end of the services because a lot of the songs we sing are based on Scripture. And so that's the little bit of Scripture you have in your life, and that's okay. But God doesn't want you to stay there. God doesn't want you to stay stuck. He wants to see you move beyond that and get to the point where you can dig in. You're like, you know what? I can read it. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to understand it. Great. You know what? You can start. You can have it read to you. There's the Bible app. There's you know, YouTube. There's, there's scripture that will be read to you. You can't handle it. You can just allow it to be read to you. There's a lot. You can read it in silence. You can read it in solitude. You can read it with others. There's a lot of ways to get into the word, and that's why growth groups are awesome, and that's why the 40-day challenge is a thing. It's because we want to help that happen, all right? So then the second thing is super important is to receive it, to receive the word of God. This is what the Bereans show us is so, so important. It's about your posture, to open yourself up to it, to read it um, with an open mind, to read it out loud. And it's why, a little pull back the curtain a little bit, it's why I pray before I read the word of God every weekend. Is that you'll see me, I'm like, all right, we're going to be in 2 Kings, and then before we go, I'm going to pray. And what I pray is I pray that the Holy Spirit would teach us so when you posture yourself as the student in, in God and the Holy Spirit as the teacher, you better get a pen ready. You better have something to write on. Because you've just postured yourself to the creator of the universe to say, God, through your Holy Spirit, teach me through your word, and then we are going to read it. You better get ready to underline it and start interacting with it, which is the third thing. To underline it, circle things, highlight stuff, write stuff down, write out a passage that is speaking to you. And as you see it, you interact with it and allow it to begin to change it by applying it. It will change you when you apply it. And this is the best. Because now, you know, if you, listen, like, let's, let's think this through, right? So you pray, you're like, God, you are the teacher, I am the student, teach me through your word. You read, and you read something about being generous. And then you go through the whole day, and you're just as stingy, you're just stingy as ever, right? What are you doing? Like, you were just praying that God would teach you something. God was saying, be generous. Well, what you should do is you should apply it right and be generous. The word comes to life when you experience it. 
So you read a passage about being kind, and then you like cut everyone off on the way out and speed off 60 miles an hour to cops pull you over. And you're like, I just read about being kind. I asked God to teach us and teach me, and then I read about being kind, and then I'm just a jerk the rest of the day. What are you doing? Like, your relationship with God is a real thing. You're actually having this conversation, and he is teaching you through his word. And you guys know when you really open yourself up, there's things that stand out to you that you know that you're supposed to follow through on. And so if you read about being kind, then be kind and watch God move in your life like never before. Yeah, is it going to be uncomfortable? Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because the Bible says to do some crazy things, like to be nice to your enemies, right? To give more than what feels right. That, that's just, it, yeah, it's going to feel odd. But that's what the Word of God does is it changes us. So we interact with it. We apply it. Um, the band can come up. And the prayer, there's a few different responses. The one, one way is to pray and to say, God, you have the authority. Like, I confess, you have the authority. I mean, I can't take that away from you. But I want to say, like, I want to confess that it has the power to change me. It has the power to change me. I think that uh, we're going to have a moment here where we're going to be able to sing. And we're going to be able to respond by um, praising and worshiping God. And we're going to be able to tell him how we feel. And some of you don't have the words on, on your heart or in your, in your lungs to know what to say to God right now about his word, about his authority in your life. But maybe some of these songs will chip away at that and give you the words to sing because sometimes we don't have them ourselves and these will give us the words. So you can respond that way. But I feel like um, what we're going to do is we're just going to reread Nehemiah 8. And so we're going to go ahead and allow you guys to kick off worship. And there's going to be a little bit of uh, an extra piece to this, to this as well. So Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Where are you at? Let's try it again. And all the people responded, Amen. 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 And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Oops, I didn't read that part. We weren't ready for that. But see, guys, I think what we see is not only do they raise their hands and do they praise God and say amen, 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 but then they have a physical reaction to the word of God and the power and authority that it has. You know one thing about second place is that there is freedom in the house. And so some of us, we may be kneeling down in, during this set. We may be finding a spot in the warehouse to get alone. It's happened in all the services. We're just, there's freedom. The chairs move. Find a spot if that's what you need to do. You only you know. And so you guys kicked it off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word and the authority that it has, but even more so, God, the power that it has. Lord, the power that your word has in our life. God, I pray right now that as we sing, Lord God, that we would lift you high, that we would praise you, that we would speak about your name. Lord God, we would speak about your glory, about your grace. And Lord, that we would sense and feel you drawing us into a closer relationship with you because of the power of the word of God. Be here as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.